I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative. And I'm Giselle, owner of Wander Design Co. Welcome to Better, the brand designer podcast. We love being transparent, honest, and down to earth on this podcast. We consider you guys such an important part of our episodes. We're all about broadcasting conversations that support our design community, uncovering industry secrets, and offering actionable advice. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Welcome back to Better the Brand Designer podcast. We cannot believe that it is the last episode of season three. Giselle, how crazy is that? That's insane. I can't believe we're here. (laughs) I know. Thank you guys for staying with us, growing with us and everything. We'll have a lot of love fest moments at the end. Um, But let's just, instead of our intro question, I was about to say, let's dive into the intro question, but we have (laughs) shout outs to do um, to celebrate the end of season three. First person we're going to shout out to is our amazing VA and UX designer, Ella Moyer. She has been so fantastic. She has been the one posting for us in the group. She creates all of our social graphics and posts those and makes sure that we are on time with everything. And she does social media for us as well. So Ella, thank you so much. If you guys are interested in finding out more about Ella, you can follow her on Instagram at ellamoyer.ux and check out her beautiful photography at ellamoyer.com. Yay. Giselle, do you want to do the next shout out? Yeah, definitely. Our next shout out, he's been with us for a really long time now, I guess two seasons now, is our editor, Stuart Barefoot. And you can find him at Small League Stew on Instagram and then also on Upwork. And we'll link um, his profile down below because these people have been integral in us getting season three out. Honestly, like we could have not done it without them. Who knows what would have happened, to be honest. We would have probably dropped the ball and been like, all right, like, Episodes are coming out every month <laughs> and not yeah, every week. I know, especially with the baby and everything. Like, I do not recommend trying to record a podcast while you have a newborn because they do not know <laughs> to be quiet while you're recording. And they just have no idea. So. Oh, I, I hope we have some like video clips of you, Jen, like hopping about with your baby and on a sling as you're there recording the podcast. Literally so many episodes, guys, this the season where I when my baby was really little, I actually got a standing desk because of this. I would stand and I would strap the baby to my chest and he would fall asleep. And I would literally be bouncing my whole body for like over an hour while we were recording. It was a workout to say the least. (laughs) Some of our guests have witnessed as well. Oh yeah. They're like, wow, Jen, you have unlimited energy. And I'm like, I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you so much, Ella and Stuart. You guys have been incredible. Thank you so much for putting up with us and our terrible communication to um, everything. And we really, truly appreciate it. Yes. And if anyone's interested in starting a podcast, we highly, highly recommend them. They've been Mm -hmm. amazing. So, okay. Inbox question time. This is why you guys are all here. So we have so many inbox questions. We are going to prioritize the ones that people commented in our Facebook group when we asked for questions. So next time we post that, make sure you get your question in. Um, We're going to try and do rapid fire here just to provide as much value, but also to be able to answer as many questions as we can. So Giselle and I are going to trade off. I am going to start and let's see how many we can get through. This is going to be fun. All right. So Liz Martinez Nelson asks, what weird things have you had to add to your contract after learning you needed them the hard way? Okay. Giselle and I will both answer this. I'll, I'll go first and then Giselle can answer one. Um, the 
The biggest thing, um, the weirdest thing that I've had to add is that my client is not allowed to remove or change my site credit at the bottom of my site because oh. I had a fortunate <laughs> situation where a client tried to change my site credit and there was nothing in my contract backing me up about like, Hey, you really can't do that. Now I have a line in my contract that someone, if they want to remove the site credit, they have to pay me $50,000. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's how valuable site credit is to my business. Absolutely. I think mine, I don't have a weird one, but I will say that um, we talked a little bit more about what contract things we added to our contract in one of our previous episodes about like client horror stories, I believe. So Kelby McGee asks, what has been your proudest moment since having your business full time? Okay. I definitely have to say that one of my proudest moments has been being able to take time off and still make money. So I think as a freelancer, especially starting out, if I wasn't working, I wasn't making money. And I always thought I needed to have a digital product to still make money and not work. And I've proven that I can still make money and not have to work full time in my business because I have that team and everything that I've set up, everything that I worked for in the last two years to make it happen. So that was definitely a proud moment. I didn't think I could ever get here. And here I am now. So I know everybody else can do it if I can do it. Congratulations. That's, that is oh, great. Thank you. Um, Bonnie Chip. Chapel asks, how do you price yourself? Do you need packages? Should you show your pricing on your website or do custom quotes? Bonnie, I'm going to refer you to our double episode in season one, all about pricing. Um, but short answer is I personally do not choose to show pricing on my website um, because I actually don't do packages anymore. Every single quote that I send to a client is completely custom based on the value to the client and then also based on their needs. Um, not everyone needs a full blown bells and whistles branding package. You know, not mm -hmm. everyone wants something mini. So, um, I'm kind of coming more from a perspective of like, how do I best serve this client for their needs rather than trying to fit everyone into a package? So hopefully that helps. Oh, Jen, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I follow the same idea as Jen. Um, I base the pricing off of the client. I do have some sort of like package sort of language in my capabilities deck, just for people that aren't quite ready to uh, sign us on for anything, but they have us in mind and let us know, like, if we have something in the future, we would love to um, work with you. So I send them a capabilities deck and I put like brand identity starts from like 8,000 to 15,000 or something. And that way they have a range. So when they come back to us, they know to expect something within that range for their um, pricing. But I don't have any of that on my website because it's constantly changing depending on the capabilities of our team. So Rebecca and Steele, asks, how, when, why does one offboard? Most of my clients come back to me with more jobs at some time or another. Is there a point where you say, no, please give it to someone else? Okay. This is interesting. I don't really have an offboarding process. I know I see like a lot of people like getting nitty gritty about their offboarding and I don't even have one. I just, on my Dubsado, I move clients over to a status that I put as inactive current or just archive, depending on if I want to work with them again then I'll put him as inactive and same thing in my ClickUp. But if I would rather not work them with them again because the budget wasn't there or I didn't quite enjoy the experience working with them or they're going to in a different direction than we are in terms of industry or something like that, then I don't have as much of a desire to continue working with them. So if they did come back with another project, then I would just let them know that we can't take that on right now and refer them to somebody else. Other than that, then yeah, I just continue having them either on and off my ClickUp or, you know, they, they'll come back within a year, like after a year or something like that. 
Awesome. Michelle Pontvert asks, I'd love to hear what advice you'd give your past self when you were just starting out and what moments and actions in your journey thus far propelled you forwards the most. So advice I would give when I was starting out, um, I think I've said this in the past and this is kind of cliche, but like, it's just keep going during those dry months where you have no inquiries and you're really like doubting yourself and you just really don't feel confident and you see a lot of other designers killing it. Don't let that get you down. Keep moving forward. Use that time to create personal projects, do a course, learn something new, read, listen to podcasts like ourselves. Um, and then what moment in action in my journey propelled me forward? for the most 100% investing in coaching. I know coaching can be kind of a buzzword right now. Giselle is like nodding (laughs) on video. (laughs) I know coaching, it seems like everyone and their mother is a coach right now, but if you can find someone that really fits with your personality style, your leadership style, then I really saw huge growth in my business. When I started working on my mindset, I started getting just advice and guidance from someone who had been there before. So definitely 100% is coaching for me. Yeah. And one quick thing to add to is as someone who I used to be like a total DIYer, I always thought like I can learn it myself. I can read it through books. I don't have to get a coach. It is not the same thing as getting a coach because they point to you what your blind spots are. You can't see those. (laughs) So you need a third person to let you know, hey, you know how you keep saying that you want to be better at this? Well, you keep shooting yourself in the foot by doing this other thing. And you didn't even notice that. So I definitely agree, Jen, coaching. Okay, so next one is Alexandra Maria McGinnis asks how to go about starting to hire a team and when you knew you were ready to do it. And then Ingrid Urena added, and where to go to find good candidates? This is a tough one. First of all, I think it's a mindset thing to hire a team, um, knowing that you know these adding these people into your team is going to be it's going to make your work even better. Cause I think one of the first things that we think about when we start hiring is they're not going to be able to do it like me. Like imagine having somebody to help you do it like you, but better. Like that's what growing a team is. And I've created the best work because of my team. And in fact, like a lot of the times I'm not even involved in the project and I'm just like blown away by what my team has done. And I'm just there as a creative director. So just like joining all those forces is great. So you know you're ready to do it when you realize that you are stalling projects, you're maybe dealing with like really long nights trying to meet deadlines or you're missing deadlines and you realize that you could really hand things off that other people can do and you only work on the things that you know how to do or things that are going to be much harder to teach somebody else. So you'll do it for now and then later down the line you can hire somebody else for it. Um, And to find good candidates, I love asking for referrals, but also something I learned this last year is um, that you have to really expand your opportunities, like your network, and ask people to apply, even if it's a referral, ask them to apply so that you can see who all the candidates are, all of the options, and whoever are your top candidates, you can have like a one-to-one with them to make sure that you're going to work well together. So you know, don't make it super narrow where you're going to hire somebody just because someone referred you still ask them to apply, but, um, and then have like a fair comparison with all of the other candidates. Jordan, Nicole Russell asks, I'm curious how you become a contractor for other designers and how you find other designers who are looking for contractors. I found my contractor, my old contractor position from Instagram. 
I followed his studio. I, I thought that their design style was very similar to mine and I was very inspired by their work. And I saw that they were looking for junior designers and I reached out on DM. I think I was like one of the last people that reached out because I think it was a couple days old. Um, and I said, oh man, I'm, I would love to work for you. You know, like I would love to learn from you. Like, and we ended up getting on a Zoom chat and it, it was a very good fit. So I, I found through Instagram, there are a lot of different places that you can find people looking for um, designers or contractors. LinkedIn, I know um, is great. It's huge for Giselle. I'm getting more into that. Um, and that's kind of like how I did that. Yeah. And I've gotten emails from um, subcontractors asking if they have opportunities or if we have opportunities available. And I've had people come to me in email and ask if they can help out in any way. And it's, it's helped as well. I've hired people to that way as well. So email anybody that you're interested in working with, because um, it shows that you care about what they're doing and you want to be a part of it. So Molly Pierce asks, what do you say to a client who says they feel like they could have created it themselves? All right. This is kind of tough. I saw this earlier today and I was like, how am I going to answer this? <laughs> do you have an answer for this one, Jen? Um, if this is a current client, like I'm talking like, if, so if this is a current client, someone that you're working with, like sh this is basically like, like the typographic minimalistic logo, you know, question. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, this is so simple. Like, okay. They have just found a font and like typed it out themselves. I think that if they say that you can let them know more about your process, tell them more about the brand strategy that you did, tell them why you made certain design decisions that you did. Hopefully some of the letters you've manipulated the typeface a bit, you've added spacing between the letters. That's a design decision. Um, contrast and size between two different typefaces is a design decision. So even though it might look simple, you can let them know like there's a lot of exploration um, that goes on behind the scenes and Hopefully if, you know, they're still upset about it, that will just be like a red flag client. You can kind of yeah. just learn from that and move on. If it's a client who's inquiring and, you know, they say like, oh, well, I, you know, I feel like some of this work, I could have made it myself. Don't work with them. Mm -hmm. That's my answer. Yeah. That's because that is definitely a red flag client. I think um, this is like that quote. I don't even know if it's a true quote, but it's about like Pablo Picasso being asked to draw a portrait of this lady and he did it in like a few minutes and the lady was like what the heck I, I paid you like ten thousand dollars for this portrait I could have done it myself and he's like well it took me 30 years to learn how to do it in like a few minutes so mm -hmm. um uh, yeah like Jen was saying like explain the value of like your process and how you came to this conclusion because anybody can say I feel like I could have created myself but did they <laughs> No, which is why they hired you. So yeah, that's why it's such a hard question to answer. I think, um, yeah, assessing where they're coming from and then addressing it that way, providing yourself, um, giving yourself that value that, you know, communicating that value that, you know, this is why you hired me. Casey Bernhardt asks, how do you overcome the anxiety of feeling like you don't know what you're doing? She says, I don't want clients to see this in me. Honestly, Casey, like it's a time thing, at least for me, like as much as we can say, like change your mindset, like you can do it. Like as much as you hear the encouragement, I feel like experience and time and having a lot of projects under your belt is like the only true way to like really grow. And like, I'm saying that from a 
a place of like, I have anxiety all the time. I actually have multiple different proposals out proposals and like concepts and brain strategies out right now to clients who haven't responded yet. And of course, all the thoughts are going through my head. Like, Oh, this sucks. I suck. Like I, they hate it. I'm a horrible designer, but then like, you just have to practice like taking those thoughts and just like kicking them to the curb because they are fake. They are not real. Like, you know, you don't, you don't need to allow them to have power over you, I guess. So I guess time, time's the best answer for me. So Derek Clarice asks, how do you choose a color palette and font? Um, I think here is where I'm going to recommend playing around with what you feel looks good and what doesn't look good. I think as a designer, we first need to learn the foundation of color palettes and typography. So when I first realized that I had a really terrible time choosing fonts and I kept choosing the same like three fonts all the time, I started investing in books and learning more about their anatomy and their history and all the different categories that they fall into and why. And also with color palette, learning the psychology of the color palette, because once you know the rules, then you can break them. Um, So I've had clients tell me, oh, like, do you want to, don't you want to go with red because red is this and that? And like, oh, let's stay away from this other color because the psychology says that this and that. And then I can come in and be like, yes, I do know that. But I also broke that rule because in combination with this other color, you're like mixing these feelings together and creating something new. So then you have a platform to stand on to defend all your design decisions. So yeah, play around with the color palettes, play around with typography, see how they work well or don't work well with others and why. And then you can learn how to um, break those rules as well as like building your intuition as a designer. I think, I don't think anyone like comes here like super talented. I think we all build our talent. So you do that just by exploring. Kat Martinez asks, what's the the very first thing to do or prioritize when starting a branding business? Okay, I have two answers. First, on the back-end business boring side, get a business bank account. I think that if you are mixing your finances and font purchases and stuff with, you know, your groceries and your rent and everything, it's just a freaking headache. So get a business bank account. You can open most bank accounts for free. And I just have a a checking account. That's, I I named it my business account. Uh, Maybe I'll be more professional about it in the future. But um, uh, on the like creative side of things, I would say personal projects. We've talked a lot about this in previous episodes, so I won't go into detail, but Find what type of style you want to do. Imagine a client, do a brand for them or a couple of brands. And that's how you get your first portfolio pizzas. Cheska Anna Paga asks, what's your biggest struggle as a brand designer? Gosh, um, this one, I think feedback is one of my biggest struggles because when I go and like put all of this thought and strategy into a design and then go and send it in, think, oh, they're going to love it and they don't love it and they like have all their own ideas about it. This doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And that's my biggest struggle because it's the revision phase where you're like, oh, I had all this steam and now it's like <laughs> like reduced to a little bit. Um, but I deal with that by remembering that I'm here to serve the client and this isn't about me. This is about them. And also trying to meet in the middle as I'm the consultant. I am the one that they hired as a professional and they're coming with their own ideas and maybe their ideas are good or maybe their ideas are a bit interesting and I just need to art direct Great them choice in the right of way. way. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. 
I love it. Bianca Garace asks, where do you get inspiration and variety when you're in the same niche? This is such a good question um, because my, my niche is my design style. I create branding for modern feminine brands. I don't have one business that I serve. Um, and so inspiration and variety, I mean, like <laughs> I'm so boring. I like to go to Pinterest, but I agree that Pinterest can kind of become repetitive, especially when the algorithm learns what type of stuff you like, and then only serves you content that like it kind of like relates to that. So I think, um, going to, uh, just getting off the computer, honestly, like I, I like, I design books a lot. I love going, like I live near Austin. I love going to downtown Austin, you know, obviously COVID through a wrench and things, but like, you know, in normal life, you know, going to cafes and looking at old downtown buildings. And I do have a little bit of like a retro classic style of like influence to my, my work sometimes. And sometimes that stuff, like just kind of getting out, going outside, looking at signs, looking at like fonts, um, just kind of an outside world. That's something that can kind of jog my creative spark, um, and kind of get me away from, Instagram, Pinterest, um, and all the same places that I like to go for inspiration. Kim Hawkins asks, how do you ensure everyone in the company is following brand guidelines? I'm at a small startup, so the mindset is very agile and MVP now perfect later, but so often the second part doesn't always happen. Okay. So right away, I think the perfect later aspect of that, you're just like, as a team, you guys are pushing that aside and you're not carving out the time in your calendar to like addresses. So that would be the first step would be to carve out the time as a team and make a meeting about it. If people just can't seem to be bothered for a meeting, then maybe doing a loom video of some kind recording, like why it's important to follow brand guidelines and what you've seen done in the past that has violated the guidelines and examples on how to follow the brand guidelines as well. Because maybe for some people, they're just like, they have a bit of a learning curve, which is why they push it away for later. But Another thing too is showing like the importance of following the brand guidelines, the value of it to instill that um, consistency and trust and professionalism so that you, any of the efforts that you're creating are going to be amplified through your branding. Laura Marie asks, is there a master's degree you recommend? I have an undergrad in international relations, not design. The military will help pay for a master's, not a BA since I already have one. I'm taking design courses, but don't have time to finish a design BA first. First of all, Laura, thank you so much for your service. My husband is in the army. So thank you so much for that. My answer to this question is going to be a non-answer and you may not be happy with it and that's okay. I would say that I don't believe that higher education as far as masters and like college degrees are as necessary in our industry as they might be in other industries. And that's just my opinion. Other people may, you know, have had amazing experiences in their higher education and design and feel like they got a lot of value out of it. So take that with a grain of salt, but most of even like the higher level designers that I have contracted for are self-taught. They have different degrees and different things. Um, I would recommend, continuing to take your design courses. I think courses are great investments. They are a way lower price point than masters, although the military will pay for it for your masters. Um, I, I think that you can definitely go for it if you want to learn more about design, but personally I've learned so, so much in smaller courses, even the ones that are, you know, in the four figures, those have been very, very like just foundational to me in growing my business. So sorry if that's not what you wanted to hear, but that's like this, my personal opinion, Giselle, I would actually love for you to jump in on this and like, give your, give your feedback or opinion. 
Thanks for inviting me to jump in because I was going to jump in anyway. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I was like, help so, me out here. <laughs> I actually did look at getting a master's in design um, because I did my bachelor's in multimedia with an emphasis in graphic design. And I thought I really want to become a master at brand design and I'm going to look at degrees for this. There are places that I looked at, especially in the East Coast, um, but eventually I decided to postpone that and afterwards when I started my business and thought about like, do I still want to get my master's? I realized that, that I never needed it for what I wanted to go into in my path. If you want to become a business owner or a freelancer, you definitely don't need your master's. If you want to get hired um, in a team for another company and a lot of companies require a bachelor of arts degree um, so that you can even apply um, some of them might not require a design specific one. So that's where you might consider getting your BA. But for the master's, I would only recommend that if you are considering becoming a professor later down the line. That's honestly the only reason I would get a master's degree is if I wanted to become a professor in design. So Jessica Norman asks, I would love to hear how other designers find the balance between honoring your individual brand and style while showcasing client work that doesn't quite align with your aesthetic. I think in this case... I definitely have my own style that I don't implement in my design work. And I've just learned to be okay with it. I think with Wander Design, I've made that its own client. So even that isn't necessarily like my style. And I provide more of my style in personal projects. And so that's the way that I fulfill that self, you know, desire to like design for myself. So I think everybody handles this a bit differently. Jen, how do you handle this? That's actually very interesting to hear you answer that because my design style is my niche and it's probably the most important thing in my business. And I love hearing different perspectives on that because yeah. just because I have a design style that I am like religious about doesn't mean that your business needs to have all like the exact same design style. Like, you know, you, you can be known for a certain type of style, but at the same time, like you don't have to be, you know, because we are providing value to our clients. So if your client needs something that doesn't really fit within your own design style, give yourself permission to provide the service that they need. As mm -hmm. far as if you're talking about wanting to go in a very specific style direction and you have old work that doesn't really align with that, I would advise not to show it because the type of work that you show, you are going to attract. Right. Um, and so if this is a starting out question, then that's kind of like what I would say for that. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Anna Campos asks, what is one major thing that can block you from getting clients? Who this is, it's hard to pick one thing, but I think probably the, the biggest thing would be not infusing, just not being yourself in your marketing. And that's, that is what has worked for me. Take that with a grain of salt, everyone. Cause that is not for everyone. Sometimes people want to be the studio, you know, and they, they, they don't want to have themselves in their marketing. But for me personally, I feel like if I, didn't show up on, you know, on stories and just shared pictures of myself in my feed. Or if I, you know, didn't get on video with my clients, if I didn't feel like I had like 
I don't know, this is kind of hard when I'm trying to outsource more. This is, I'm running into this problem now when I'm trying to outsource more and me and my personality being such an important part of the like client process. That's something that I'm struggling with right now. So I guess like this is another non-answer, but like, I don't, I think that what I'm trying to say is that if you're only showing work on your Instagram or on your portfolio, you know, and you're not providing value to the potential client, either by giving them tips and tricks on how to make a mood board or whatever it is, or that means showing your face, telling people about your business, telling people about your story. I think like when I see grids of new designers on Instagram, only just showing work and, you know, DM me for inquiries. Like that's probably one of the biggest blocks to, to getting clients because it's just not engaging content. I don't know. That was kind of all over the place. Giselle, do you want to jump in here too? (laughs) That was a really great answer. I agree with you, Jen. Um, (laughs) I think personally for me, and it's especially true lately um, in the last part of last year, the biggest thing that blocked me from getting new clients was myself. So I'm in a sales call, like everything is implemented, like from the marketing to like getting the person on the call. And then there's that last part, which is having that sales call. And I was in a place where I was not feeling like my best self. I was pretty low confidence, honestly. And I could see the client like withering away because I wasn't providing that confidence that I usually provide in my sales calls. And I like, it's a communication thing. So um, yeah, look at what your roadblocks are like how you're blocking yourself from getting these clients as well. And it could be in the communication part. Jane Elliott asks on the business side of things, what tax slash business structure is working for self-employed individuals in the U S and sole proprietor LLC, et cetera. If you're self-employed and you're only working for yourself, um, you don't have any subcontractors, like you don't really find that you need to protect your own assets things that belong to you as an individual, then you can become a sole proprietor just by default. You don't have to do anything. And when you um, fire taxes, you just check that box as sole proprietor and you use your social security for that. But if you are looking to scale, you're starting to hire subcontractors, maybe you're in an industry where it's a little more risky. And if someone, if you see like, there's like a, a chance that someone could come after you for whatever reason, um, then you want to protect your personal assets by, registering to become an LLC. And that means that things that are related to your business and whatever kind of tax deductions you have in your business, those assets belong to that business. And that's what someone can come after, but they can't come after your own personal payments as an employee for your business. And they can't come after like your car, for example, they can go after the company car, but they can't go after your own car. So that's when you would consider not become a sole proprietor for our us service providers, it's I think it's either one or the other, sole proprietor or LLC. There's a bunch of other options, but I'm an LLC. I think Jen, you're an LLC or you're about to become one. I'm about to become an LLC. Yeah, yeah working on it. Jessica Villa asks how to lead clients versus your clients leading you, treating you like an employee versus an expert. Great question. This starts with mindset 100%. Um, if you believe that you are the creative director, and you are the expert and you have so much value to provide to the client, then when you bring that type of energy to your sales calls or your creative direction calls, or even just like, a you know, an onboarding, you know, housekeeping call with a client telling them 
this is how the project is going to go. This is how I'm going to collect feedback. This is where you come in. This is where we come in. If you come from a place of confidence um, and that type of energy, then your client will respect you for that. I mean, think about if you were the client for someone else, if they kind of gave off energy, like they didn't know what they were doing or they weren't confident, then probably your little control freak tendencies, at least for me, my control freak tendencies would, would kick in. I'd be like, okay, I need to check in with this person all the time. I need to like, Hey, when are you going to get that to me? Like those types of things that kind of creep into like employee territory would kind of fire up. So I definitely think like working on that mindset, making sure that you are showing up as the expert, that your client knows that you are a consultant, not just a designer. We've talked about that in previous episodes that is going to help, um, kind of like nip that in the bud or like avoid that type of relationship from the get-go. Ashley Brown asks, how do you gain the confidence to establish yourself? All right. One answer to this that Jen and I love is having a hype folder. <laughs> so <laughs> if yes. you need that confidence boost before communicating with a client or sending a proposal or something like that, if you ever had um, compliments from teammates, friends, family members, past your clients, mom. your mom, <laughs> then <laughs> screenshot that and put that in a folder so that you can look through that and remember like these people think that I'm awesome. And I'm sure you have people that um, have said this to you. So do that. Um, also give yourself um, sometimes like you have to like fake it till you make it in terms of your mentality. If you're dealing with some mindset things and just pretend that you are that confident person, like give yourself an alter ego, for example, and pretend like, okay, what does this alter ego give her a name to or him and ask like, what would they do in this situation? So it's no longer you. It's that alter ego. That's a super confident person. So I'll let you guys in on a little Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you guys in on a little secret. For sales calls, I put on my blue light blocking glasses. It helps me get to the the mindset of CEO, creative director. Because when I look at myself in my Zoom and I'm wearing my glasses, I feel like I look all cute. I feel like I look like a designer. You know, it just like helps give me that little edge. And I I legitimately to this day always wear my glasses on calls. And that is awesome. It helps me get to that like that place. So whatever that is for you, maybe you put on a swipe of lipstick, maybe yeah. it's like nothing physical, but like you take them like five minutes to meditate before a sales call, like whatever it is, like, you know, just do that to shift your mindset into that, like CEO hat. That's, that's a trick yeah. that I learned from my business coach. Yes, I agree. I, I do the eyeliner thing. I think we talked about this in a previous episode, yeah. but for sure. The eyeliner thing also, this is a real thing. Um, I've been reading more books about this kind of like psychology and sense like visuals, like anything like that. If there's a poster on the wall that you can like, when you see that poster, that's like kind of sets that alter ego, or it could be like a smell, like you cut a lemon and like every time you smell that lemon, like that associates, like associating these scents with like you being that confident person before a sales call or whatever, um, or a candle or some, you know, essential oils, whatever it is. I love that. I should start doing that. Yeah, I love doing that with the um, peppermint when I really want to focus on work. I don't yeah. know if it's true that like peppermint or essential oils really do help, but I think associating them with certain things that you do does help. So Definitely. if I need to like really focus on something, I'm like, I'm putting my peppermint um, uh, aromatherapy. What is that called? Oh, my diffuser. 
and I'm going to get the work done. So my brain's already like, oh, it's work time. (laughs) That's no, that's so smart. There is such a amount of power in your brain. That's that sentence just sounded so stupid, but (laughs) there's a lot of power. Like our brains are powerful guys. Like don't come after me, but um, yeah. I mean, as a yoga teacher, I understand like aromatherapy is, is it is real. um, And it is um, Mm -hmm. amazing. I love lavender right before bedtime. I'm sure a lot of people are like that, but um, so yeah, next question, Rachel Audiwell asks, should you include websites as part of your brand package offering? I've seen some designers that do and others that don't. Great question. So many good questions. This is completely a personal decision. It really depends on what you want for your business, what you enjoy doing, what your goals are. I will share my experience. When I started offering web design, in addition to branding, I sold more branding and more websites. My income went up. I was able to attract a lot more people. And that, that took me getting rejected because I didn't offer web design and my business has grown so much more, um, since I started offering web design, I believe it's because it's easier for clients to see the value in a website than they are able to see in branding alone. That being said, I know a lot of fantastic, talented, experienced designers who choose not to offer any web design. Alex Cottles from the routine creative. As an example, he does not offer web design currently. He's kind of dabbled in it, but that's a decision that he made because he just didn't enjoy it. And branding is where he shines. And so that's been working great for his business. He has a thriving business um, with the team and that was what he decided to do for for him. So it really is personal. Um, Ask yourself what your goals are, what you enjoy doing. I will say, you know, with all that being said, I think that you can make a lot more money when you do web design, but that might just be a personal perspective and that might be incorrect. So Yeah. And in addition, if you don't want to offer web design yourself, but you want to find somebody to partner with and uh, do like an agreement on commission. So if they refer you and you refer them, then you guys get a kickback for that. You can also do that. I have that with um, a couple of people. So Sierra McGuire asks, how do you get to the point where people come to you more than you go looking for them? Ooh, this, um, just goes with time. I think you really are building your referral network. And it's only going to happen in a matter of time. Honestly, like, I don't think you can avoid this. (laughs) It's just going to happen naturally. But um, yeah, you just have to persevere. Like Jen said earlier, you really just have to keep chugging along. And um, especially when things are dry, like start working on how you can better serve your future clients. So anything in that aspect, you prioritize that first and then worry about like other things that you wanted to get done for your business. So also getting in front of people one-to-one, because if you're sharing Instagram posts, hoping that more people come to you, um, when you speak to everyone, you're speaking to nobody. So DMs, I, I personally love LinkedIn. So messages on LinkedIn, asking people to connect and then opening up a conversation with them. It's the same thing as going to cocktail hours somewhere with a bunch of other business owners and just asking them what they do because people love answering what they do and like who they are. And all you have to do is just show up and ask questions. Helen Hudak asks, what's a good way to organize your workplace? This is so fun and unique. love this question. Um, I'm looking at my desk right now and it's an unorganized mess. mess. So I don't know if I'm the right person to um, answer this question, but I will say that what's been working well for me as far as organizing my office is that like every couple months, I'll just do like a 
like a bulk organization, like morning, well, I'll just, I'll pull everything out, papers, like file folders, like every single like art, like thing that I have in my office and I'll choose what to keep and what to throw away and, or donate. Um, and so that, that I did that a couple of weeks ago, um, at the beginning of the year. And it was so great to walk into a fresh office where I said, I knew that everything in my office was all things that I actually use and need. Um, and so that's kind of like my advice for that. Davina Luna Yostong asks, trying to see how everyone delivers files to the clients. Oh, this is awesome. So I use Google Drive to send files to my clients. Um, I recommend when you send something that you're hosting on something that you pay for to let them know when it's available, like until what date, and then giving them a reminder a few days before, like, hey, we're about to you know, delete this, remove it from the folder. Just make sure you have it downloaded. You can also use... Um, we transfer if the files are huge and I'm talking like tons of gigabytes of files that doesn't happen very often for me. But um, another thing is we have our good friend, Michael from the logo package express coming up with a whole platform on how to deliver files to clients. that I cannot wait to get my hands on and um, stay in tune for that. I think we'll have a link somewhat for that in the description. And then our last question I can't believe we made it to the end. I know. Sonia Stojewski. I'm so sorry, Sonia. Can you be a successful designer if your dream clients come from more than one niche? Yes. Yes, you can. Niching does not mean that you need to pick an industry. That was a really big light bulb moment for me recently within the last year. You hear people talk about niching all the time. We actually, probably the majority of inbox questions that we got were about niching. You can niche from style industry. You can niche from your offering. You can niche, you know, there's so many different ways that you can narrow down your audience and it does not need to be industry. I'm a great example of that. My niche is my design style, modern feminine brands. I tried to niche into uh, beauty, fashion, but then I realized I was continuing to get inquiries from so many different businesses. And I was like, why pigeonhole myself when I feel like the reason that people are reaching out, they were always saying, I love your work. I love your style. I mm -hmm. want something that looks similar, you know, and what other people say to you when they reach out to you may not be. I love your style. I want something similar. And maybe I saw the work you did for this client and I saw the results it got them and I need that type of result. So maybe your niche could be, you know, we help coaches, you know, make it to six figures or we help coaches with successful launches by branding their, their course or whatever it is. You know, those are just examples, but, um, 100% you can be successful. The only thing that I would say that you cannot be successful in is if you do not niche whatsoever. If you try to be everything to everyone, I mean, maybe you might find success, you might find income, but I don't think that you will get to the level that you're looking for. If you choose to provide every type of service to every type of business, I just don't think it's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to be stretching yourself then. And yeah. yeah, I don't recommend it either. Um, Awesome. Well, I guess we made it through all of the questions. This is amazing. Hey, I know. I'm like, I was very ambitious with how many questions I put on this outline, but we killed it. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm proud of us. Me too. <laughs> this is the most amount of questions we've ever answered in an episode. 
I know. And this was just such a small percentage of the number of questions that we got. So thank you to everyone <laughs> who submitted an inbox question. Um, continue to submit those questions to us. But yeah, hopefully some of these people will listen to this episode. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we are so excited to have our new website up or near up. So maybe by the time you listen to this, it'll be up. Go check out betterbranddesigner.com and see our new site. It is on Webflow. Jen and I, person like our own design studios websites are on Webflow now. And it was only natural for us to move the Better Podcast on Webflow too, which we are super excited about because it's allowing us the um, way easier submissions of more resources. It, we're going to start adding transcripts of all of our podcast episodes. So you guys don't have to hear the whole thing all over again. If you're looking for something in specific, we'll make sure to have the links added in there, all sorts of things just to better serve you guys and um, more to come too. So stay tuned for that. Yes. Webflow's collections capability is one of the most amazing things, like mind blowing that I have seen in a while. Adding stuff to my portfolio and adding blog posts is so much easier with Webflow collections. We're actually working with a client right now where we're doing e-commerce for them and collections for e-commerce is amazing and magical. So Definitely dive into Webflow. We recommend a course from Flux Academy. You can go to betterbranddesigner.com slash resources to look for that course. That's how we both learned Webflow. And if you want to get started with that, that's how you can do that. A little plug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% recommend that course. Yeah. Also, um, a shameless plug for our amazing Facebook group. Uh, we have over 2,200 members in that group. I remember when we launched and we were afraid that no one was going to join our group and we had like <laughs> nine people in it or something. Yeah. <laughs> and it has grown exponentially. There are so many amazing conversations happening in there. People are providing value to each other, um, people connecting. And there's so many little comments that like I almost go through and read almost everything in that site uh, on the group. So I'm not making any promises that I'll respond, but I see people connecting and I, I like, I like and heart so many things when, yeah. when people are like, Oh, thank you so much for answering my question. It just like, Oh, it makes me so happy. It like warms my heart. Me too. Um, I, I love that. And I'm in a lot of other groups too. And our group, I just love how niche we are. We are talking mm-hmm. about brand design and all yeah. of the c- constant hangups that we get with that. So having everybody res- like other people respond to post like now Jen and I don't have to be the ones that are responding to everything all the time. So mm-hmm. we're really happy to see like other people helping each other and like having one-to-ones like partnering together. I've seen a few of those as well. That's yeah. been amazing. And that's why we created this group. Like we really want to have this community of people helping others. And so we're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, we are going to be taking a little bit of a break in between this season and next season to focus on our businesses, but that does not mean we are going away. That does not mean that the Facebook group isn't going to be amazing and active. Another thing that we wanted to announce to you guys is that Giselle and I are on Clubhouse now. You can follow me at Hello June and you can follow Giselle at Wander Design Co. Um, so go ahead and do that to be notified when we do rooms together. That's definitely something that's on our horizon as far as getting to connect with you guys a little bit closer, being able to ask, answer your inbox questions in a live type of situation, chat with you guys, really network. Um, and so that's something that we're really, really looking forward to and something that will be great to bridge the gap between season three and season four. Yeah, it'll be awesome because it'll be like almost like a podcast episode, but you guys can yeah. also chime in and we can talk to each other. I'm super excited yeah. about that. Jen, do you want to quickly share what is Clubhouse? 
So Clubhouse is a new social media platform where it is completely voice-based. There are little rooms that you can go into and you can kind of be a fly on the wall to the conversation happening inside. Everything is completely live. And so it's like little mini conference calls that you can kind of learn more from other experts. You can connect with potential clients. You can learn from people in your industry. Um, and so you can follow people and then the app will notify you when they have created a quote unquote room and then you can join that room. You're able to actually raise your hand. It's a little icon in the app and it will allow you to come up on quote unquote stage. And then you'll be able to unmute your microphone and you can chat with us real time live. Um, it does not record any of the conversation um, as of now. Um, and you know, it's just kind of like a more in the moment type of situation. So we're really, really excited about it. I have found so much value in clubhouse. I love listening to other people's conversations and then also jumping in. Um, and so I have my headphones on, on all day and I'm, I've got clubhouse in my ears. So it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. And I'm excited to jump more into it. Jen invited me over to it and it seems amazing. I've already like been a flying wall on a conversation or two. Can't wait to learn more about it. And also yeah. host our own rooms. That'll I be fun. know. I know. It'll be super fun. So that wraps up the episode. Usually we do an inbox question, but I think you guys are inbox questioned out for today. Our, <laughs> question, our question for you to wrap up the episode is what is one goal that you have for 2021? Because we are recording this in January. We have the whole year ahead of us. This can be business or personal. Um, it can be spend more time with your family. That is my goal for the year. Um, I do have income goals, but that's my primary goal. Um, it could be business related. It can be sign on a paying class client, that could be your goal. You know, it could be make a million dollars. That could be your goal. You know, whatever it is, we want to hear about it in our group. So go ahead and share on that post that we'll be posting um, because we want to support you guys and we want you guys to support each other as well. Absolutely. And I think the stats are something like you raise your chances of completing this goal by like 30 something percent. If you say it out loud, sort that kind of ability. So go ahead Sold. and share that. <laughs> so and do we'll it. See you. We'll see you in the Facebook group. Yes. We'll see you guys in the Facebook group. And then we will see you guys in season four and on clubhouse. Come find us. <laughs> Thanks guys. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd be forever grateful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We bet you've got designer friends who'd enjoy it too, so share it with them. If you'd like to submit an inbox question for us to answer on air or want to get in contact with us directly, email us at inbox at betterbranddesigner.com. Our Facebook community is one of the most positive, supportive, and fun groups we've ever been a part of. We'd love for you to join us. Search for Better the Brand Designer podcast on Facebook. And visit us online at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more about our podcast and snag major discounts on our favorite resources.